morning, we are uh, picking up in a series that we've been in for a couple weeks, and the series uh, this morning is titled Contrast, Contrast, and uh, this series has a subtitle, When Worldviews Collide, so we've been looking at in the book of Acts, uh, at a certain portion during the book of Acts, when the early church was kind of bursting forth, Jesus had resurrected, uh, sent his Holy Spirit to empower his church, and now the church is beginning to multiply, they're beginning to spread out. And the way that the early church lived, as we see in the narrative, begins to look differently in terms of the worldview or the culture during that time, which was a very dominant and powerful Roman culture. So we've been looking uh, at the contrast that exists in terms of how the early church lived and uh, how people during this kind of culture lived and kind of some of the parallels of how that um, looks and parallels with our life today. So this morning, uh, we, have been, we are in part three of the series, and I've titled this message this morning, Death Row. Come on, somebody. Death Row. It's getting morbid in the house this morning. Um, so this morning, uh, Death Row. When you think of Death Row, you think of what? Uh, people that are, <laughs> Tupac, right. Uh, Dr. Dre. No. Um, <laughs> everybody's like, <laughs> anyway. Um, I love hip-hop. I'm not going to lie. Um, anyway, when we think of death row, we think of sometimes Tupac, right? But we also think about those who are awaiting death, right? Those who uh, know that their final destination will be one that is death. And this morning, where we're picking up in the narrative of Acts, is we have an audience in this passage where they're about to understand and probably relate to this idea that they probably deserve death. And I'm talking about God's people. I'm talking about the Israelites. Last week, if you were with us, we, we kind of went through this section of scripture where there was this group of religious people where they were coming to grips that they, as God's people, had killed the very Messiah passively or actively, whatever way it looked like for this audience, they had killed their Jewish Messiah that they had learned about for years in their history that they were awaiting. They were awaiting this Messiah as God's people to come, and we see Peter on the back end of a miracle as he speaks into this lame man's life to walk who had never had, and he begins to walk, and a crowd begins to gather, and we see Peter beginning to explain to this group of people, this Jewish group of people, that they had participated in killing their Messiah, and their Messiah's power is the power that raised this man who is lame back up on his feet Again, so we're picking up here, but I want to just, for us to, to think about murder during this time, in this day and age, in a very dominant Roman Empire type of a culture. Now, these were God's people who killed their Messiah, but during this time, if you in the Roman culture uh, even dared to even think about the idea of killing one of the leaders during this time, these Roman emperors, it would have been insane to think about what the consequences would have been. In fact, the Roman historian Tacitus, he wrote this. He wrote about these emperors during this time, and he said, The histories of Tiberius, Caius, Claudius, and Nero, while they were in power, were falsified through terror, and after their death were written under the irritation of a recent hatred. Meaning this, these guys were bullies, right? You did not mess with these Roman emperors, they intimidated people, and they would destroy anything that threatened their power, let alone, can you imagine if there was an uprising that rose up to kill one of these emperors? These people would have expected absolute horrific death. So it's interesting because now we're talking about God's people who had just been 
accused, and just probably while they were being talked to, as Peter was piecing all of these things together for them as he was speaking to them, there was some, probably some light bulbs going on in terms of their realization that we've participated and killed our Messiah, Jesus, by placing him on the cross. But now that they've killed their Messiah, the one that they've awaited for, how is the God of the universe going to respond? We know how Roman culture would have responded during that time. But how is God going to respond to the fact that his son was murdered? What are the consequences going to look like? What what is that going to look like for his people, God's people, the Israelites, during this time? So we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 3, picking up where we left off last week. Starting with verse 17, and we're going to read it together this morning. And up on the screen we have the NIV, if you're following along in your own Bible. Whatever translation, that's fine as well. So uh, this morning, Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, this is Peter speaking. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Let's pray really quick this morning as we begin. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your response. Thank you that there's a difference in sometimes the way that we view the world and the the. the the world's responses to our mistakes, our sin, our ways that are off the mark in terms of what you desire. But Lord, we're thankful that we can lean into your grace this morning, God. So Lord, would we understand your grace a little bit more deeply? Lord, would we walk out of this room this morning, maybe connected with a better understanding of how great your grace is and your love is for us? Lord, we're thankful this morning that we were created, as your word says, in your image. So, Lord, even despite how broken we may feel, Lord, our lives still have the capacity to shine your goodness, to reflect your love. And, Lord, we're thankful that you are our ultimate healer this morning. We give you all the praise you deserve. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen, amen. We're going to kind of break this down once again this morning, and uh, we're going to start with that first verse, Acts chapter, or chapter 3, verse 17, as Peter kind of begins here. We're going to kind of break down what's happening. And he says he starts off after he kind of informs these people of their guilt, as we learned about last week, and he says, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. You're God's people awaiting a Messiah, and you missed God in the flesh, right? You missed that he was the Messiah. These people had studied about God their entire lives, awaiting this Messiah. It's like the equivalent of somebody today that has like a PhD in math and then can't pass like an elementary edition like test. You know what I'm saying? 
Like these people were rehearsed in, 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 in Jewish thought and awaiting their God to come to save them. And they completely missed it. They completely missed the mark in awaiting their Messiah. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's pretty shameful that they missed it. But we know the story doesn't stop there. They murdered him too. They participated, once again, whether kind of actively or, or kind of passively, but there was a contribution to be made in the fact that their Messiah was not only rejected, but he was put to death. So we can continue on in verse 18 this morning. It says in the scriptures, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. This murder charge, the tone begins to change right here. There's a, there's a tone shift because what Peter brought forth was a realization for these people that they had made a very big mistake, a grave mistake. But I love what Peter says. He says, this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. The murder charge is being softened because this was all God's plan. This, this idea or this concept of God's sovereignty. And sometimes when we begin to think or, or talk about the things of God, our finite minds can only go so far into understanding how great the God of the universe truly is, right? But here's what I know, and here's what I love about this passage right here, the tone shift. It's a reminder that God is in charge. And here's what I know. This is bad news for some people, the realization that God is in charge. If you're a person that has a God complex and an agenda on this earth to wreak havoc, for evil to run rampant, I'm thinking about people that have had to experience some pretty absolutely horrifying things. I'm talking about people that wreak havoc. I'm talking about your terrorists. I'm talking about the people that try to take evil and allow it to manifest on the earth. But this is bad news for the terrorists because what happens? What happens in Las Vegas, right, after all of the, the dust settles, right? Although there is pain, although there's things that we have to deal with when it comes to the consequences of living in a world where sin still kind of runs rampant, right? But I love it because people that have a God complex that think they're going to make a difference for evil on this earth, I love what happens after the fact. Communities begin to heal. Communities begin to come together, and God's goodness begins to shine forth even in the darkest situations. Come on, somebody. And I love it because people who have a God complex, who think that they're in charge, this is bad news when they understand that God's in charge. Because on the other side of it, what do we see? We see healing. We see communities come together like never before. We see a process where what was meant for evil, God allows to be turned around for a story that begins to impact other people's lives from then on out. This is horrible news for people that have a God complex. For the Romans during this time, in Roman power, these people believed that they were gods. They believed they were the ones in power. But during this time frame, what happened? They put this man named Jesus up on the cross, and they thought they got rid of him. But what happened? He rose. But it didn't just stop there, because that resurrection power, as we read, and as you read in the beginning of the book of Acts, is empowered into God's church. So what they thought they were in charge of, what they thought was in their power, 
in terms of destroying this man, getting rid of this man's power, they not only realize he rose, but they realize that that power was being distributed through his church. It was being multiplied and spread out unlike ever before. Once again, what was meant for evil began to be spread out for good across the earth. God is in charge. And here's what I love about this. It might be bad news for those who have a God complex and think that they're in charge when they're really not. But this is also good news for so many of us, right? The good news is for those who have made mistakes. Those who realize their imperfections. Those that realize that we don't have it all together. Because what God promises and who he is and by him being in charge, when you think your mistakes have screwed up everything in life, they haven't. These people during this time, they, they can you imagine for a second, we have murdered our Messiah. And what does Peter says? He says, you think because of the evil you participated in, you've destroyed your whole history. And the tone of God and the heart of God begins to manifest through this scripture. When Peter says, you think you've screwed it up, but you haven't. Because God is in charge. In God's sovereignty and the mystery of how God works through history, through time, Here's our prayers on a moment-by-moment basis. They're reminded of that in this moment. Although you participated, God is still in charge. His plans will not be thwarted. His plans will not be thrown off track. And he will accomplish what he wants to be done on this earth no matter what. It's good news for Israel. But it's good news for us as well in the ways that we fall short. Because we think that we've screwed it up, but we haven't because God, through his son Jesus, offers us forgiveness, washes us clean, allows us to have a new start. So whatever massive mistake that you think just tarnishes your life, God this morning to you is saying, no, be cleansed by who I am. You may be expecting death. You may be expecting and have an idea of the penalty you think you deserve. But the way I view the world is you do not deserve that, but you have received my forgiveness, my grace. Your consequences begin to shift in terms of the contrast of what the world would expect during this time. Amen? This is good news for those who are on, quote, unquote, death row. This is very good news. goes on in verse 19. Peter says, repent then and turn away to God, or turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is, this is so powerful. I love this verse. Peter then begins to unpack what he means by this forgiveness. What he means in terms of the tone that's changing. When they would expect massive consequences because they killed God's son, the Messiah. He says this, this is what you need to do. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I love this. I love the illustration that Peter's giving about this idea of repenting and turning away. Because here's the deal. When you receive God as your Savior, and what Jesus has done for you, there's the reality that it's almost like, imagine for a second that there's a whiteboard that represents your life. 
that represents the ways that you've fallen short, that represents sometimes the identity that the world wants to give you. And your entire life you've been staring at this whiteboard, right, about who people say that you are, who the world says that you are, the, the mistakes that you make that you're constantly being reminded about, about how you just don't measure up. And when you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, it's like Jesus with his blood begins to wipe that whiteboard, making it completely clean where it's erased. But I love where Peter, he takes it a step further because I truly believe this. We can receive the forgiveness of Jesus, right, and see that our sins and our lives are changed. But he says repent, meaning turn towards God. Turn away from the fact that this whiteboard used to have things on it. And begin to turn towards God. But here's the struggle. As a person, as a human being, still existing and living in a world where sin becomes so easy still, right? Where obviously many of us still make mistakes. None of us are perfect. When we turn towards the Lord, we'll have a tendency at times to turn back around and see that. That whiteboard, be reminded of it. Although it's a race, we're still kind of reminded by the fact that there were things underneath or there was things that existed there before. But I love it. Because here's the deal. When you have a relationship with Jesus, when you pursue Jesus, when you live a life, a Christian life that says, I will not just receive things, but I will actively pursue a relationship because God wants one with me. And you start to walk towards Jesus. You know what happens when you start turning around again? That whiteboard and that reminder of who you used to be, what, what happens to it? It begins to get smaller to a point where you begin to walk, you walk, you walk, you walk. And before you know it, as you've been pursuing and getting your, he- your mind set on Jesus, you turn around and you realize how insignificant your old identity is. But that takes an active pursuit of Jesus. And many of us... We say, yeah, Jesus, I I want you. But we just sit here and we continue to stare. And when you continue to stare at what you used to be, and you don't have your eyes set actively on pursuing Jesus, you're constantly going to be caught up in this identity. But I love it. That's why Peter says repent. That's why repentance is so huge because it's this action of saying, okay, with my life, I understand, Jesus, what you've done for me, but now I'm going to go this way. And I'm going to pursue you. And I know that if I don't just stay here and continue to look back, and I move in this direction, I won't be tempted to start going backwards and start keep living this life that has been spoken over me. But Jesus allows us to go in an opposite direction where those things begin to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And we realize that our lives aren't about us, but they're about the mission of God and others. I love this. And this is what he says. He doesn't just leave it there. He says, Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If you were a person that was on death row and somebody walked in, said, you're free. What would be one of the first things that you'd probably go do? I don't know about you. I'd probably go get a good meal. You know what I'm saying? No more prison food. No more death row food. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm getting out of here and I'm going to go eat. Um, Any of you ever been on a really long diet? Yes. Or uh, tried to abstain from delicious food for a while. What happens to your taste buds when finally you have that cheat day? You know, like you've been abstaining from like delicious foods for so long. And then finally you have your cheat day or that day where it's like I can finally bite into that delicious 
juicy bacon cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? That's the best tasting. I don't care what it is, but your taste buds are going bananas because it's like they haven't tasted it for so long, right? Food tastes better. Remember Callie, uh, she went on a missions trip to Papua New Guinea, and obviously very indigenous culture where, you know, it's not like she was just like eating a lot of our Americanized kind of food. And when she got back on our missions trip, she was like, all I want is like a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> She's like, I just, I, I want this. You know what I mean? So she had her Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. But how many of you guys know when your stomach hasn't adjusted and you jump into the pleasure and the comfort that you want and your eyes see, there are repercussions, to say the least, right? Come on, somebody. We begin to focus on ourselves and the human experience. But I love it. In worship, we're refreshed. And we're reminded what truly matters. In the human experience, we, we begin to focus on the bad news. But in reading the scriptures, we, we get refreshed. We get reminded about the good news. In the human experience, we, we have a tendency to focus on our loneliness and isolate ourselves, right? But by being together in community, we are refreshed and reminded why living, breathing people matter so much in our lives. In the human experience, we sometimes focus on what we don't have. But through prayer, we are refreshed and reminded that we have everything with God. When we actively pursue a relationship with Jesus, I truly believe this, we have a refreshing experience. We have opportunity to be refreshed like that first bite into a meal that we haven't had in so long where our taste buds are just going bananas. And there's something refreshing about having that experience, but I love it. In the midst of a broken world, God allows us to have refreshing experiences like that when we press into him on a daily basis. Yes, the world around us might feel like it's crumbling, but God offers a life where when we taste him in small doses, we're just reminded of how good he is. We get refreshed in the midst of a world that sometimes feels so overwhelming. We get a sense that this is what we're made for. At our small group this week, we did an outdoor movie night, which that was kind of the plan all along, but it was a dumb plan because, how many of you guys know, it gets cold during this time of the year. So this was our first big test, you know. So uh, we're sitting, you know, some of us braved it. Uh, it ended up just being me and Kelsey in the backyard with no kids because all the kids were uh, uh, nowhere to be found because they were probably cold or distracted or whatever. But I thought about it, and I said, man, isn't this life? Isn't this community? I sat back, and I thought, this is, this is so refreshing. Being in community with one another, messy, you plan, you put things together, it doesn't always work according to plan, but man, when we're together, we're in community, we're doing life together, it's refreshing. It's a reminder in that moment how, how God designed things and how refreshing those times can be. The taste buds of tasting that meal refreshes refreshes our lives in the same way that God offers those moments with him. Let's keep going in Acts, the next verse there, verses 20 through 21. It says, and that he may send the Messiah, 
who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, is son. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for, for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. I love this. There's sometimes these momentary re- times of refreshment in our life with God. Where unfortunately, even in the midst of that refreshment, we have repercussions. When we eat that meal, our body reacts in a way that has repercussions. Yes, in the moment we feel refreshed, but the bottom line is we still live in this world where there are consequences, even in the middle of the refreshment. But what God is promising here, what is he saying? He says, there is going to be a time of full refreshment. Come on, somebody. There's moments in our life where we taste God, where we experience God's goodness, where we feel like we're close to what it means to be a human being in the way that was originally planned and designed. And God says, you will have times of refreshment, but there will be a time that will come of full refreshment. In Jewish prophetic thought, people believe that God would come to restore all things as the ultimate and creator and judge. That's what they believe. They believe that God would be this kind of person that did a cosmic renewal. But we have this chart, and I want to show you, in terms of the New Testament, in terms of the promises of Jesus, and, and how he related to this time. So God's plan of restoring all things in the New Testament. What did this full restoration and full refreshment look like? Well, we know in Ephesians it says that God would sum up all things in Christ. Through Christ, God would reconcile all things to himself, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. God will make new heavens and new earth in which justice will dwell. God will overcome every power which destroys and corrupts his good creation so that eventually God will be all in all. The whole creation will be set free from its slavery to decay to share the liberty of the glory of God's children. For these people in this audience during this time, God's people, they were having to rethink this idea of restoring all things. It was having to be rethought about around the idea of Jesus. They're coming to grips of who their true Messiah was, the one that they murdered, and they're realizing and having to rethink in terms of what rightful place God through his son was taking. And once again, this idea of what they had done, God is going to do to the whole of creation what he has already done through Jesus, also known as Jesus being raised from the dead. That restoration, that resurrection power is something that God in the end, come on, is going to do with all of creation. But that's why Jesus now remains in heaven, in God's sphere. Heaven is a place where God's purposes for the future are stored up. It's almost like this idea of this final act in a play, right, where there's all these stage props that are set on the side, awaiting For that final act when all of those things come to fruition and all those things come out on the stage and you have the finale of a lifetime. God is storing those things up and we are eagerly awaiting for that finale when everything comes from the wings. Everything comes to fruition and the full refreshment for our souls is at hand. When Jesus finally reappears, heaven and earth will come together as one and that will be the great renewal of all things. That will be getting to eat the meal and not having the repercussions. Come on, somebody. That will be 
getting to experience that refreshment that many times on this earth we can taste and we feel close to God and close to his heavenly purposes, but don't have to deal with any of the sin nature and the sin and the evil sometimes that runs rampant and is a consequence of being a person living on this earth. What a beautiful day that will be. It goes on in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. It says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold those day, these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. So what it, what's Peter doing? He's pulling out all the big names in the scriptures. All of these Jewish people, all the Israelites, big names in these stories that they were familiar with. And he's painting a picture for them. Moses himself, the greatest prophet of all, right? Samuel anointed the first kings of Israel. Abraham, too. In Genesis 27, Abraham is considered a prophet of God. But as we read, he's also the one that God said, through the families of the earth, the families of the earth will be blessed. Through you, through your offspring, my promises will go forth through you, Abraham. So he goes down this Jewish timeline, and he paints a picture He's painting a picture that the Old Testament, as, as, a, as a story, right, it was constantly pointing in the direction towards Jesus, awaiting this Messiah, that this great something in the restoration of all things, this time would be awaited where these things would be put right at last. And now Peter's saying, it's happening. It's happening. You can be a part of it. That restoration process is in the works because of what Jesus has done and because of what you all were awaiting. Suddenly, there's an alternative to the consequences of being on death row and being a broken human being. There's an answer. There's a solution of people who find themselves in that situation. His name is Jesus. And then finally, verse 26 this morning. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Oh, hey, murderers of God, Peter, God is going to bless you. What? Blessing is the key ingredient to this final section here that we're reading. I think for some of us, once again, we look at the wicked ways and we see a word like wicked and we can get so caught up in that. Wicked, wicked. But when you really break down the context of this, you understand what? You understand that these people did something pretty wicked by killing their Messiah they had been waiting for and didn't even realize they were doing it because they had got so distant from God's heart that they missed it. But I love it because the key ingredient and the most powerful thing about this section isn't the idea that there was, these people are wicked or missing it. The whole idea in the context of this passage is the blessing God wants to unleash. The power is not in the blame. The power is in the forgiveness. The power is not in, as God's people, you should have known better. The blame and shame game. God... Hitting them with the rod, right? 
But the power is in you are loved as my people. You are my people. You always have been, and you are still loved and cherished, even in the midst of one of your worst moments. I want us to hear this today, no matter who you are in the room this morning. If you're living and breathing in this room this morning, you are loved and cherished by God. God has created you. God loves you. He's given you every attribute and unique part of your personality. He's created you unique, but he's also created you in his image with a purpose to take the reins on that image and begin to allow it to flourish in this life that we get to live on this earth. There's a contrast between humanity's idea of death row and God's idea of death row. Because humanity's idea of death row, when we think about death row, people get sent to death row because what? We want them to be destroyed. Whatever these people did, let's get them out of society. Let's remove them because life would be better without these people out into society. Let's kill them because guess what? When we do that, we are eliminating a threat and we are destroying this person's existence. But it's interesting because God thinks a little bit differently about death row, doesn't he? He says, you're going to die, but you're going to die to yourself. And when you do that, you begin to understand what life really looks like. You begin to allow the death part to be what I carried on the cross. God says death row looks a lot different in terms of what your consequences be. Because there are consequences, but there's also a free gift that I'm offering you, a way out. And all it takes is us saying no to ourselves and saying yes to him as Lord. And when we continue to say yes to him in our daily lives, he begins to shape, reform our identity. Amen? I don't know. You, I've thought about this, but you might be a person that sometimes feels like you're in this meaningless capsule of life that's heading in a direction that you know death is inevitable. But I just truly believe this this morning. I truly believe that God wants to speak to you and tell you and remind you that you have a purpose. That capsule that you sometimes feel like you're stuck in, that capsule of life, that capsule of a capacity of what it means to be a human being, God wants to change your ideas this morning. God wants to remind you that although your life might feel like it's just inevitably headed towards death, he wants to give you a new purpose, a new hope. He wants to give you something that maybe you have not cognitively understood before, but just simply because he cherishes you and loves you so much. The good news this morning is if you're sitting in the electric chair of your life and you're so low, you're so down, you're so hopeless, can you imagine for a second what that would even be like? Knowing that you're living your last moments, you're sitting there, and the lever's about to be pulled. In that moment, the hopelessness, the despair, psychologically what a person might be enduring, knowing this is it. And the lever's about to be pulled, but the phone rings. And there's somebody on the other end that says, stop everything. This person is not going to receive the punishment they deserve. Let them walk free. The true one who is in charge tells everybody else to stop everything and let the person go. Jesus is on the other end of that phone. 
And that's what he offers us in our life, in the most hopeless, horrific, horrendous moments where we're at our lowest point, where we can't imagine a way out. Jesus opens the prison door and says, there is a way out. Come, follow me, and understand what life truly looks like. Amen. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning? As we, as we pray and as we conclude this morning, I just, I just truly believe that God's stirring some things within us, that when we gather together, packaged with God's word, it's not just words on a page, but packaged with that is, is, is God's presence, his power that works, that shapes us. So this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give opportunity. There may be some people in the room, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, and God wants to speak his love over you. God wants to remind you. The Holy Spirit, God's presence on this earth, maybe has been knocking on your heart been awakening new things, areas where you've felt hopeless with your life, and maybe you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus wants to allow you to receive that free gift this morning. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus, you never said, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, and you want to make that decision, I want to pray with you, because this is a massive decision. This is an eternal decision, and this, I believe, is the best decision you can make with your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, there's somebody in this room, you're just saying, hey, nobody looking around, pastor, would you pray for me as I make that decision for the very first time? Would you just lift your hand in the air right now? You're saying, I, I just want to make that decision. Yeah. Second, second question is this this morning. There may be some of us that maybe we've been distracted. Maybe we've been the people that are we figured out what Jesus' forgiveness means to us, but we haven't turned away from the whiteboard. We're still s spending a lot of our time staring at the whiteboard. And maybe we've taken steps towards Jesus, but we keep looking back, and that whiteboard still just feels so massive in terms of being reminded of what we used to look like. And God's just asking us this morning, would you take some steps towards me? Some of us, we know practically, on a practical level, what that's going to look like. Others of us, we're going to know that God's going to be good enough to allow those things to kind of be revealed over time. But this morning, I just want to pray over us as we just collectively have an opportunity to respond to God this morning. So if you're a person, you're saying, I, I just need to take steps towards Jesus. I need to be active because I'm realizing the whiteboard of my life and the reminder of who I used to be and what I was forgiven for from is still winning. So that's you this morning. Would you just lift your hand in your ear? Just saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? Yeah, see a few hands over there. Awesome. Awesome, you guys. Well, let's, let's pray this morning. Jesus, so thankful for your forgiveness. So thankful for your grace. So thankful that, God, you give us a peace. You give us a comfort. And you give us those moments of refreshment when we, when we pursue you. But even in the midst of our pain, Lord, we're thankful that when we get past ourselves, and we begin to focus on you, focus on your mission, that we realize that our story becomes a story to bless others. It becomes very purposeful. It becomes very intentional because, Lord, you are in charge. Even in the midst of sometimes where we still make mistakes, sometimes we feel like we've gone off, we've missed the mark once again. Your plans will not be thwarted. Your plans will still prevail and you still invite us into a process of being a part of that restoration on this earth. So, Lord, we look forward to the full refreshment that you've promised. But in the meantime, 
Lord, we know refreshment comes from you and you alone. So, Lord, I pray just a prayer of refreshment over our church today. Lord, in areas maybe we don't even know. Lord, would this this morning be refreshing? God, where there needs to be rest, God, would you give supernatural rest? Where there needs to be peace, where there's unrest maybe within our souls right now, God, give that peace. Lord, where there needs to be healing, whether physical, whether emotional, Lord, we know that you are our healer. In the same way that you healed this lame man where this whole story that we're reading this morning comes from as a response, Lord, people saw your power, Lord, we want to have faith to believe in that power this morning, that you're healing us. That as those things begin to come to the surface, Lord, you're healing us more and more day by day. So, Lord, we love you and are so honored to be your children this morning. God, you're so good. You're so good to us and you're worthy to be praised. So, Lord, once again, as we celebrate such a special Sunday, Lord, we're thankful for the faithfulness of 65 years. But as your church, Lord, we look towards the future and are so thankful for your promises and those things to come. Help us today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen.